0: Marianne Ross and Joni Holman are the owners of Supply Chain Mavens, Incorporated, a fast-growing corporate training company with global reach. Our 30-minute, bi-weekly podcasts deliver inspiration, humor, and reality, featuring interviews with authors, consultants, executives, and experts who share their personal success stories. If you're new to Supply Chain, or need a career boost, or are exploring a move into a different field within the Supply Chain universe, Join us for refreshing candor and innovative new ideas.
1: Hi, I'm Marianne Ross with Supply Chain Mavens, and I'm here with my best friend and business partner, Joni Holman, and we are here today with the amazing Claire Bloom, uh, who has some really interesting supply chain stories to share with you. So we're going to get right to it. Claire, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Claire Bloom,
2: um, and I am a retired naval officer. I joined the Navy a long time ago. Gosh, so long, I can't even think about it uh, because I was bored. So I was bored because I had been in the same job for three years, and I discovered that every time I'd done the same thing for three years, that was about it. That was all I could handle. (laughs) Nothing was new anymore, and I needed to go do something else. Um, And so I decided, okay, if nothing else The Navy will move me from place to place and I'll always be doing something different. Uh, And sure enough, it never it never failed to meet my expectation of not keeping me bored. Um, (laughs) It was it was just a wonderful career. And I retired from that career in 1998 and immediately started an online education program for certification in integrated resource management. Um, I had become certified in CERM and I had become a qualified trainer in CERM and decided that this was something everybody needed to know. Um, and it was, keep in mind, this was 1998. So in 1998, there was not much going on internet and technology-wise. Um, so we talked, we talked, classes by email using address books wow. where I would send an email out to a group of people saying, okay, here's your reading assignment, here are the questions you have to answer after your reading assignment, uh, and here's a question for discussion, and you have to reply to the address book so you all can have this discussion back and forth between you. Um, and and it, it was a phenomenal success. I led to a lot of people getting certified in CERM. And then um, shortly Shortly thereafter, my old third son got four children. My third son uh, decided to accept an opportunity with his company to go to their U.K. office. And I thought, uh, you're going to take my two grandchildren with you to the U.K.? I don't think so. so <laughs> Um, Keith and I closed up shop, sold our house, did everything, and then moved to the U.K., and of course, so my business, I sold it to someone else who continued to operate it, um, and and that was great, but at any rate, we moved to the U.K. for two years, and of course, for two years, I didn't work, um, and I came back from the U.K. in 2003 after those two years, And decided, you know what, I don't mind not working. Actually, not working is pretty cool. Uh, Yeah, I can read, I can knit, I can play with my grandchildren, I can do whatever I want to. Um, and, And life was grand. I mean, absolutely grand. Until I was in a book group one day in 2010 and heard that there were hungry children in my community. And that led to me deciding that that was not something I could live with and not do something about. So I started N68 Hours of Hunger, which is a program where we put bags of non perishable food directly into the hands of children who don't have food to eat when they're missing breakfast and lunch in school on the weekends and they don't have food at home. So uh, we've been very successful. We have 46 programs in eight states. We're feeding more than 5,000 children every weekend and um, we have a tremendous support from the community and tremendous support from funding sponsors and there you have it in a nutshell i retire from that job in, on september the 29th of this year and i have already found somebody to take my place and uh and 68 hours of hunger will go on
1: wow what a story yes. what a story so
2: can i get a little bit more details
0: about your naval career because you had some wonderful assignments as
2: and some remarkable ships. I Can you did. share a little bit more about that? Sure. So when I joined the Navy, I was a single mom, and I decided that um, whatever else happened, I needed to prepare myself for a career that would allow me to work in the public sector if it turned out that I decided I didn't like the Navy. So I decided to select a job that had to do with computers. Um, Again, this is back in 1981. Computers were all pretty new to everybody. Um, so I selected a job that had to do with computers, which took me to Norfolk and the Naval Station there at Norfolk, and then moved around to a couple of different jobs. I was an admin officer in Virginia Beach. I was a total quality management coordinator, and therein lies the intro to <laughs> supply chain management But um, at Naval Station Norfolk. So let me let me just tell you a little bit and I'll tell you the rest of it first and then we'll go back there. So um, and, then, and then went on to do I uh, went to South Korea to be the officer in charge a personnel support detachment, went to uh, back to Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, And the Virginia, actually the Washington, D.C. area of Virginia, to become the deputy special assistant for women's policy. And while I was the deputy special assistant for women's policy, we had the law changed, which would allow women to serve in the Navy aboard combatant ships. At the time, they could only serve on auxiliary vessels. I remember those days. uh, Yeah, we got the law changed to allow them to serve on combatant vessels. Uh, And then my, my The coolest job was my last job, absolutely, unquestionably. Um, and that was when I was selected to be the first woman to be the second in command of USS Constitution in Boston Harbor. Um, and for those of you who don't know USS Constitution, it's the Navy's 220-plus-year-old three-masted square rigged sailing ship that is still an active commission ship with active commission sailors and still resides in Boston Harbor at the Charlestown Navy Yard. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the year that I was, the years that I was XO, we sailed the ship for the first time in 116 years Wow! with national news, international news. And then later on the next year, uh, we celebrated her 200th birthday. So it was really an exciting time to be a part of the Navy and especially an exciting time to be part of the life of Constitution. And then I retired and, as I said before, moved to England and all that other stuff.
0: Well, thank you for your service i've known you for so many years and i've never been able to say that to you so
1: thank you i've seen that ship it's just amazing yes so you led into supply chain there Uh, tell us why you think supply chain rocks
2: now there is no question in anybody's mind who who looks that supply chain is the beginning, middle, and end of everything that we have and do. Now, a lot of people don't look, and that's you know that's okay. You don't have. to, Everybody doesn't have to know everything. But the reality is, the desk that I'm sitting at, the chair that I'm sitting at, the food that I eat, the clothes that I wear, the technology that we're using today, uh, the nail polish on my nails, you know, <laughs> the, the the color I put in my hair, the you know the earrings I'm wearing, all of that, <laughs> none of that is anything I made myself. So, given that none of us makes, produces, invents, creates the things that we use every day, means somebody else has to do that. And somehow or another, that has to get to us. So, supply chain is the creation, the ideation, the creation, the initial production, the mass production, the distribution, the retail sales, the, the delivery to my front door through whatever service organization I use, the recycling of the boxes when I open up my box and I take out my product, the, the destruction of the plastic material that's in the box, and then the actual product that I'm holding in my hand, and then what happens when that product's empty, and I have to, you know, get rid of it and toss it, and and every single bit of that from beginning to end is supply chain management. So there is not one of us who survives without supply chain management. So I mean, how much more important could it possibly be? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Pretty well summed it up there, end to end supply chain for sure. Now we really want to know about the hard touching story of meeting the love of your life. This was so, so much fun. It is
2: it's a fun, fun story. So um, when I was at Naval Station Norfolk, while I was the director of a counseling and assistance center, this was 1990, um, Admiral Kelso was the chief of naval operations. And Admiral Kelso decided that there were things in the concept of total quality management that the Navy could put to good purpose, even though we were not a business, even though we were not in actual production of anything. And so he decreed from above that every naval station, every naval command would have someone at that command who would be responsible for total quality management at that command and would implement all of the principles that could be implemented in a naval environment um, for total quality management. And he called it total quality leadership. So my commanding officer in his infinite wisdom went, Dominique, Dominique, Claire, you're it. You're the person who's (laughs) going to do total quality leadership throughout Naval Station Norfolk. And I went, okay, um, I need to get smart on this Real fast, So I went to my first apex conference in New Orleans, um, and it was a five-day conference. And in the five days, I was so... It was at a time when we had 13 flights of information. One of the flights was total quality management from 8 in the morning until 5 in the evening. It was nothing but stuff on total quality management. And I literally sat there with this fire hose you know, pumping all this information down my throat and trying to absorb it all. And then I would go back to my um, I was staying in the military officers housing across the the peninsula, across the bay. And, and I would just try and think about all the things that I had heard and then come back the next day for another big, massive dose. Um, and in the middle of all of that, there was a an evening event for first time conference attendees which i was a first time conference mm-hmm. attendee so i thought okay i need a break <laughs> i need a drink i need you know i need to sort of unwind a little bit from all of this so i went to that event and at the time, Apex had a regional organization. It was Apex. They had a regional organization. Uh, and I was a part of, by virtue of where I lived in Virginia, I was part of Region 11. So I go to this event, and there are all these tables. And sure enough, there's a table for Region 11. So I go to table Region 11, and I introduce myself to Joyce Behuda. I'm sure you guys are uh, Marianne for sure. Right. Has a but anyhow... Um, And so we're sitting there and we're chit-chatting and then the program begins. And uh, up on the stage is this Brit. And I'm like, you know, what is this Brit doing on the stage of the American Production and Inventory Control Society? (laughs) And I thought, but okay, whatever. And so uh, and he he literally castigated us to go back home and get involved with our local chapter. I mean, he was like Boom! Boom!
1: Boom! Go
2: home. Get involved with your local chapter. You know you have got to be involved with your local chapter. So I'm like, okay. So I go home. Um, this is this is October. I go home. November, December. Those are holiday months. We don't do pretty much anything. Nor does our local chapter. But January comes along, and I go to my first local chapter meeting. And who is sitting there at the desk as the guest speaker? But <laughs> this same Brit who was uh-huh. marching across the stage telling us all. So I, so. It's really kind of funny because the first words out of my mouth to him were actually a lie. So I said to him Hi, Keith, I'm Claire Bloom. I met you in New Orleans. I hadn't actually met him. I had just seen him on the stage talking to the 500 people in the audience. And um, anyhow, he looked at me and he said, of course I remember you, Claire. And inside his head, he told me later, he said, I never met this woman because if I would have met her, I would have remembered her. (laughs) (laughs) It was so sweet. But anyhow, um, and and he had a meeting. He he was the speaker and he spoke. And um, then the next month, obviously you won't remember this but the next month this is 1990 desert shield began right which was when they sent all kinds of navy reservists and army reservists and air force reservists over to Kuwait to try and correct pro- pro- protect sorry try and protect Kuwait from invasion by iraq um And the president of our chapter was a naval reservist and he got sent to Kuwait. Mm-hmm. So he called me on the phone. Now, keep in mind, this is I have come to one meeting, I am a brand <laughs> new member, and he calls me on the phone. And he says, Would you like to represent the chapter at a region meeting in Savannah, Georgia? And I'm like, I don't know anything. Why in the world would you want to? <laughs> But, okay, I have nothing going on that weekend. I'll go to Savannah, Georgia. So I went to Savannah, Georgia. And the very first person I see when I walk <laughs> in in Savannah, Georgia, is this Brit again. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. So this is this is the third time, you know, I don't know what's going on, but so we're chatting. And this time, of course, he does remember me and we're chatting and we spent, we somehow, I'm not going to say how, He's got his version. I've got (laughs) mine. Sitting next to each other all day. And then um, in the evening, um, we wound up going out together with some other people for dinner. And you know, it just, you know, it was just sort of casual. And nothing else. And then all of a sudden, the at night, after I went back to my hotel room, I realized this was a really cool person and I was going to miss not being able to see him. And so lo and behold, the next day as I'm flying home, I'm walking through Atlanta Airport and you know Atlanta Airport. Atlanta Airport is ginormous. Yes. As I'm walking through Atlanta Airport, Keith comes up behind me and says, Claire. And I just basically almost burst into tears. I just gave him my business card with my phone number and I kissed him on his cheek and I turned around and I went to get on my flight. Well, needless to say, to make a very long story, very short, we met at this APEX meeting. We had our first date at an APEX region meeting and then we got married a year later at an APEX executive (laughs) committee. Oh my goodness. (laughs) We've been married for 31 and a half years. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh. That's and it, it is so f- much fun following you on Facebook and watching how your lives have evolved together and your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchild, yeah. right? Yeah. Three great grandchildren hey. now. Oh my goodness. And, Congratulations. and all the travels. Yep. Yeah. So that's been a wonderful story and a blessing for those of us around you who have watched that evolve. Thanks. So now we just have to know more about your role in End 68 Hours of Hunger.
2: So um as I said, it wasn't I wasn't working, everything was fine. I'm at a book group meeting, and one of the women in the book group says to me, I have children in my classroom who from the time we get free lunch on Friday until the time they come back to school on Monday have nothing to eat. And in that instant, I basically was convicted that. I could not know this and not do something about it. And so I made the decision right then and there that I was going to do something about it. And I came home and I told told Keith and Keith and I started talking about it. And we started saying, "Okay, yes, we have to do something about this. And yes, we have some money we can throw at it. So I went down to the school district office uh, soon and after that. And I said, "Okay, I understand you have hungry kids. I have some money I can throw at that. And they said, we don't want your money. What we want is a person to start a program to put food into bags and deliver the bags to the school so we can give that food to those kids who need it. And I said, well, I can do that. I mean, the Navy's trained me to do just about anything and Apex has trained me to do all the rest. So I mean, there's (laughs) no way that I can't do that. So I started, I applied for the 501c3, which I got. um, and I started N68 Hours of Hunger, and we were feeding 19 children in three schools in Dover, New Hampshire. And now, as I said, we've got 46 programs in eight states. We're feeding 5,000 children every single weekend, all based on the same model. The volunteers in the community solicit funds from the community, they use those funds to buy food, and then they put the food that they buy into bags, which they deliver to the schools, and then the schools get them to the children who need them to take home on the weekend. Um, And it all works pretty much seamlessly or did until COVID. Um, And when COVID came, the whole, I mean, as as you know, living through it yourselves, in an instant, everything changed. Everything changed. So step number one, the schools closed. So how do we distribute Food to kids when the kids aren't in school. They're anonymous to us. We have no idea who they are. So that was the first big problem. The second big problem, which happened at the exact same time, was that the grocery stores stopped allowing us to buy a hundred jars of peanut butter, a hundred right. jars of jelly, hundred jars of mayonnaise. Right. Now all of a sudden we were limited to one. OK, you know, when I'm feeding 100 kids, one jar of peanut butter is not going to do a thing for me. Right. So that was the second big problem that we had. So we we circumvented those problems pretty quickly, I think, given that we were a totally volunteer small organization. So the Don't first sound th- like. Supply chain problems. <laughs> exactly. Very definitely supply chain problems on both sides, distribution as well as supply side. So um, the first thing we did was we got in contact with the folks who built our website for us and said we need a registration system so that parents can register their children for home delivery. Assuming we could get food. And and they did that, and within five weeks we had a registration system up and online where parents could register their kids wow. for home delivery. They were they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. The second thing that happened is we found all the people who were delivering to restaurants, which had all closed, like U.S. Foods and Cisco, and we developed contracts with them to buy food from them. Oh my! Grocery stores wouldn't sell us food in bulk. They absolutely would because they were used to selling in bulk yeah. to, the, to the restaurants that they were and the schools that they were serving. And then the third thing that happened sort of along the way that wasn't really us, but really worked well was many of the school systems had already budgeted for buses and for bus drivers. So what they did was they packed the bags, they put them on the buses, and they had the yes. bus deliver them out to the kids. So it I mean, I'm telling you, it takes a village. Um, It was was really amazing that everything all came together as well as it did. Um, And then the fourth thing that we did that was uh, very impactful is many of our programs decided to give gift cards to the grocery store Uh so that they could go and buy their one jar of peanut butter, their one jar of mayonnaise, their one jar of jelly. Yeah. And so we did, we distributed gift cards to the families each week so that they could go buy the things that they needed from the store. There were a lot of the things that happened in the broad scheme of things that, that made a big difference. Uh, as you well know, the government sent out stimulus payments to everybody um, twice when COVID hit. They um, upped the value of food stamps for families that were using food stamps so that they got more. Uh, unemployment um, payments were multiplied with additional right. unemployment funds for those who lost their jobs. So there was a there were a lot of things that all worked together to help keep our kids fed. But the reality was is we were a part of that process to make sure that kids got what they needed to get.
0: My gosh, what a transformation story! What a digitization story! Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a pivot for your supply chain, searching out those new suppliers that could get the food in multiples. Oh my gosh.
2: Yeah, it was an adventure. That has to be very gratifying for you. It absolutely, there's no question that it was. To know that we could carry on, know that kids weren't gonna go hungry, that that was just huge.
1: Mm. It, it's a real testimony to the importance of resilience in supply chain, right? And, and no then the no question. Uh, creativity of leaders in supply chain to be able to facilitate that resilience. Well, and one of the things that
2: comes clear to me through that, and I'm sure to you as well, is that a lot of companies insist that they can't do things any differently. And so they keep doing the same thing the same way, believing, and I know they believe it, believing that they can't do it any differently. And then you see these breakthroughs when a company realizes Oh my God! I can actually do something a little bit differently, and yes, and by doing something a little bit differently, I'm saving money. I'm saving on material. I'm saving on uh, you know, I'm saving on production time and lead time. I'm getting products to customers sooner. Um, I'm getting a better quality products to them in the quantities that they need. All of that. But unfortunately, so the bigger the company, I think the harder it is for them to make that sort of leap to say, "Okay, now we can do this a different way. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Showed huge demobilization leadership on your part. Because of the well, pandemic. thank you.
2: I mean, you know, it was sort of <laughs> one of those things. I couldn't not do it. So.
1: <laughs> right. No, it's it's so, just why you're just wired that way to I think so you know, to think, think outside so. of the box. Yeah.
0: So, Claire, what kind of thing, what kind of idea would you, or what kind of advice would you give a person that is entering the supply
2: chain field for the first time nowadays? Well, I guess the first thing I would say, and I, I'm thinking in terms of a college student. Okay, a college student goes in and takes college classes, and they in their business classes, and they take some classes in supply chain management, and and then they go to work for a company, um, whatever that company is, and in whatever role it may be. The first thing is to recognize a they are a part of the supply chain, whether they're the accountant or the human resources director or the person who's actually operating the machine, they're a part of the supply chain. So just like a process flowchart, you know, Take a look at where you are in the supply chain and what areas of the supply chain you are actually touching. And then find out as much as you can about every area of the supply chain that you are touching in one way or another, whether it's your customer, your supplier, your customer's Mm -hmm. customer, your supplier's, your supplier, whatever, learn as much as you can about them. and, And with an eye towards saying, hmm, Is this the best possible way that this can be done? Now, as a junior person, you're not going to go to your boss and say, hey, boss, no, I think we should stop doing this this way, and I think we should start doing this way. No. Have those conversations with your counterparts along the way, um, just simply to learn, for the purpose of learning, not for the purpose necessarily of reinventing the wheel, but for the purpose of learning. And then learn as much, as much, as much as you can until you absolutely feel like you've got a handle on it all and then move on, you know, Find out a little bit more about something a little bit different, a little bit outside the edge of where it is you're working. I've always said the growth is is saying yes to something that's on the edge of your expertise. Because when you say yes to something that's on the edge, then as you do that, Your edge expands and you grow. And so, you know, that's kind of what you need to make your own little growth and knowledge supply chain work in here for you. So that every time you do something new, you're learning something new and that's contributing to your knowledge. But just recognize where you are in the supply chain and see how it works around you.
1: I think that what you're advocating right there is one of Joni and I's big passion is the idea of lifelong learning, right? Because I think that all three of us will agree that the more we learn, the more we want to learn. Uh, yes, the supply chain is totally in our blood and we're, we are all three just passionate about it. But I don't, I don't think any of us can say enough about the importance of continuing to learn, continuing to grow. Absolutely. I completely curious. This was an amazing session together. Uh, I think we could talk for hours and hours and hours uh, about supply chain. Is there anything anyone wants to say to, in closing? Any ideas you want to import in closing? Just love being with you ladies, which I can see you so
2: much more often than we do, but that's just not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but we made this happen. We did. We did, we did, we did. We did, we did. yeah. yeah.
1: All right, ladies, this was a wonderful experience. I thank you both so much. And uh, we're going to close by saying we three believe supply chain rocks.
0: <laughs> Love you, Claire.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Supply Chain Rocks. We hope you've been inspired and informed during our time together. Learn more about the training events we offer by visiting our website at supplychainmavens.net. We'll be back in two weeks.